0: Chapter Forty Nine of When Shadows Die by E. D. Ean Southworth. This is in the domain. Recording by Gage. Chapter Forty Nine: A Double Wedding at All Faith. It's a habit he gives himself, old mistis. Nuffin tall, but a cussed and funnily habit he gives himself, and he ought to be broke a bit, if it breaks his neck. He to hab de daring impudence to take a rail gemman's name and to go Paradin' up and down de yeth. "'and round and round de world, "'a deceivin' of young damesin' like Miss Oddly "'and old widdies like you, "'de audacious willin'. "'Wat you reckon they will do em, old mistis?' "'Such were the comments, "'and such was the question of Luce, "'after hearing the letter of Mrs. Force, "'which the housekeeper of Mondreer, "'with her usually perfect openness, "'had read aloud to the colored cook. "'Wat yer reckon de gwine to do wid dat funnily willin', old mistis?' "'again demanded Luce.' seeing that the other woman was studying the letter in silence. "'They'll hang him, that's what they'll do with him. He's been sent to England, in chains, I hope, and they'll hang him. By all accounts they don't fool with such people as we do. They hang em. And now, Luce, don't you ever dare to call me by that devil's name again. And if anybody else ever does call me so, I'll sue em for slander and put the damages as high as the law allows,' exclaimed the old housekeeper. "'All yight, old mistis!' I won't call yer dat, but what must I call yer? Call me Mrs. Wright, Wright is my right name, and I shall always write it so, for all of that marriage right between me and that yonder beat. Just so, old mistis, I'll member. It was my dear old man's name, and I ought never to have changed it, and I never will again, so help me. And now, Luce, you and me has got to stir our stumps and make this house jam, for there's not only two weddings and lord knows one wedding make fuss enough in a house, but there's a whole raft of foreign company coming to stay. I taught as there was only two strange gemin. Well, but one's a lord, and t'other a lion, and them two's as much as a regiment. So look alive, nigger, and put your best foot first before the foreigners, said the housekeeper with vim. While well, active preparations were in progress at Mondreer all the grandeurs, with Mrs. Hedge, Little Rosemary, and Miss Sibby Bayard, returned to the neighborhood. The sensational news they brought from Washington spread like wildfire through the county, and the capture of the kitty by the argent, the taking of the argent by the eagle, the detection of the true character of the adventurer, whom they have known and lionized as Colonel Angus Anglesia, the discovery of Roland Bayard's parentage, the approaching marriage of Leonidas with Odalite, and of Roland with Rosemary, formed the topics of conversations at all the tea-tables, and in all the bar-rooms for many miles around. In the height of all this gossip, the forces, with their two foreign guests, returned to Mondreer. They immediately became the objects of daily, yes, hourly calls. Every acquaintance of the family, high and low, rich and poor, came to welcome them back to Mondreer, and all were received with courtesy." Invitations were sent out broadcast for the double wedding to be celebrated at All-Faith Church on the first of the ensuing June. When that day dawned at length, the sun arose in a sky as bright and blue, and shone upon a world as green and fresh as ever blessed the bridles of youth and beauty. At a very early hour the church was filled with the nearest friends of the wedding parties, while scores of invited guests, who could not press into the building for want of space, sat in their carriages that filled the grove. At ten o'clock the venerable clergyman appeared in the chancel, robed in his white surplice, and attended by his curate and clerk, and with their appearance a whisper went around the congregation that the bridal procession was approaching. This was true. A moment later the doors were noiselessly thrown open, and the ushers entered, standing on the right and on the left. Then the bride, Odalite, appeared, leaning on the arm of her father, Her dress on this occasion was very plain and simple—a white silk, trained, and a long, white, tulle veil, with a very slender wreath of orange buds—gloves, boots, handkerchiefs and bouquet to match, but no jewelry. Behind her walked her bridesmaids, Wynnette and Elva—girls even more simply dressed in white than herself. A few steps in the rear came the second bridal train—little Rosemary Hedge, led by her great-uncle, Captain Gideon Grandier. She looked like a light floating cloud, with veil and dress of all snow-white tulle, looped here and there with lilies of the valley. Behind her walked her two bridesmaids, the little elk girls, in simple white organdy dresses. Last of all came Mrs. Force, with the Earl of Enderby and other friends, and Mrs. Hedge, with Miss Susanna Grandiere. As Odalite was led up to the altar by her father, Leonidas Force came out of the vestry, followed by his groomsman, Sam Grandiere, and joined them. The circle immediately arranged itself before the altar, the friends of the pair standing behind and on the right and the left. The venerable rector opened his book and the rites commenced. Odalite was a palace bride that ever willingly gave her hand to her chosen bridegroom. But then the shadow of the past overclouded her spirit. Leonidas perceived this and pressed her hand in silent sympathy and reassuring tenderness. The rites went on to the end. The benediction was given, and the bride and groom were warmly congratulated. Then the newly married pair with their attendants withdrew to the rear to make way for the second wedding. Old Captain Grandier led his niece, Rosemary Hedge, up to the altar, followed by her bridesmaids. There they were met by Roland Saviola and his groomsman, Ned Grandier. They formed before the altar, their friends and relatives standing behind and on either side. Again the rector advanced and opened his book and amid the deep silence commenced the solemn rites. When they were ended, and the blessing was bestowed, the bride kissed, and the bridegroom shaken by the hand, both the wedding parties withdrew to the vestry to register the marriages. After this they made very slow progress out of the church, their way being impeded by their acquaintances, who left the pews to offer their congratulations. At length they were permitted to enter their carriages, and take the road to Mondreer, where the marriage breakfast was to be given. It was a great success, of course. The guests remained until two o'clock when they departed, well pleased, and leaving their entertainers to take a few hours' repose before repairing to Oldfield for the evening's ball. At the farm they all literally danced all night till broad daylight. Then, after coffee, the two brides and grooms put on their traveling dresses and took leave of their friends. Leonidas and Odalite went to Greenbushes to spend their honeymoon quietly. Roland and Rosemary left for Washington, en route for New York and Paris. Mrs. Hedge and Miss Grandiere wept freely at parting with their darling, but were consoled by the assurance from Roland that the trip across the Atlantic was nothing at all in these days, and that he should certainly bring Rosemary back to spend Christmas with them, and afterward, if they pleased, take both of them to Europe to spend a long time with Rosemary and himself. To Miss Sibby Bayard, who had been a true mother to the young man, and who was weeping silently, and wiping her eyes surreptitiously, as if she were ashamed of her tears, Roland said, Dearest Aunt Sibby, though I seem to be leaving you finally, yet it is not so. You will see me much oftener, and for much longer periods, than you used to do when I was mate on a merchantman, and away to sea three years at a time. Besides, you will come and stay with us on the other side as often and as long as you please. Forever, if you will, we should like it. Yes, honey, never mind me, I'm not crying. What should I cry for when you are so happy? I love you too true for that. Rail love, says I, always rejoices in the good of its objects, says I, and them as snivels at the happiness of their children, says I, hasn't much love but a deal of self in their souls, says I, Miss Sibby concluded, with a glance of reproach on poor Mrs. Hedge and Miss Grandiere. At last they were gone, and the invited guests soon followed. Oldfield was left to itself except for the presence of the forces, who, being very tired, had accepted Mrs. Grandiere's pressing invitation to remain and rest for the whole day. They all retired to their rooms to lie down and sleep, all except the California widow, who with her instincts of order volunteered to help put the farmhouse to rights after the party. She called to her aide, Luce, who had come to Oldfield in attendance on her mistress. Luce's eyes were red, and her nose was swollen through much crying. "'Now come out of that, you fool!' exclaimed the widow, who had finished with her own crying. "'I can't help a bit,' sobbed Luce. "'These year boys and gales is nuff to break a body's heart. Allers everlastin' gettin' married world without end. But what's the use of talkin'? It's a habit they gibbs derselves. Nuffin' tall but a habit they gibbs derselves. And they'll never be broke of it. Never. Oh, hush loose, look up, look up, woman, there is a good omen, the sun is rising. The End End of Chapter 49 End of When Shadows Die by E.D. and Southworth